This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. 2 Kings chapter 19. Oh, the more and more I serve God, the more exciting it gets. Because the more I learn about how he works and how he operates, and I see that he really is a good, good father. See, their enemy is always trying to throw doubts our way. And the doubts pretty much can be summarized in this, in that the enemy wants us to come to the conclusion, God is not really a good, good father, but rather, he doesn't care all that much about us. But God indeed does. He is good to us all the time. Whether you are feeling well or whether you're sick. Whether you have just a little bit of money or no money or whether you have a lot. Whether it's raining or whether the sun is shining, no matter what's going on in your life, God is good. And our walk of faith is to keep that in perspective, not just to say it with our mouth that God is good and all the time. And that's a good statement, but God wants us to live that statement out with our lives. Because God is good, he listens to us just as he wants us to listen to him. And because God has entered into this covenant relationship with us, we should allow his word to influence us. But the other component to that is God has allowed us to influence him. And that's an amazing thing. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. So we're going to look at Hezekiah for a bit. Hezekiah was a man who was leading Israel. And as he was leading, he found himself in a great challenge. The king of Assyria had sent him notice that he was going to come and take over Jerusalem. And so as he sends this message to Hezekiah. Hezekiah responds by seeking the Lord, which is what every single one of us must do when trouble comes our way. And so in chapter 19, we see that Hezekiah calls his servant and he says to him, go to the prophet Isaiah. And so they send, the uh, the servants are sent with this message. This is a day of great trouble, insult, and disgrace. It's like when a child is ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver it. But perhaps the Lord your God has heard the Assyrian representative defying the living God and will punish him for his words. Oh, pray for those of us. Who are left. And so after King Hezekiah's officials delivered the king's message to Isaiah, then a, a response from Isaiah 
was given. And this was the response. Say to your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be disturbed by this blasphemous speech against me from the Assyrian king's messengers. Listen, I myself will move against him and the king will receive a report from Assyria telling him that he has needed at home. Then I will make him want to return to his land where I will have him killed with a sword. Remember the scripture that says the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord to do with as he wishes. The scripture here says God says I will make the king want to return to his homeland. God can direct the affairs of leaders. Number eight, meanwhile, verse eight, meanwhile, the Assyrian representative left Jerusalem and went to consult his king who had left Lachish and was attacking Libnon. Soon afterward, King Sennacherib received word uh, that King Turhaka of Ethiopia was leading an army to fight against him. Before leaving to meet the attack, he sent this message back to Hezekiah in Jerusalem. Listen to this message. This message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let this God that you trust deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done wherever they have gone. They have crushed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? I want to pause there for a moment. The enemy is in the business of telling every single one of us that we are part of his prey. That just as he has destroyed the lives of other people, the enemy wants to point at us and say, you're no different. I'm taking you down just like that other person. And so the enemy is sending these words to the king saying, I have destroyed this nation and this nation and this nation and so on. And so what makes you think that I'm not going to take you out? The enemy's desire is for us to begin to lose heart and to lose hope. He says in verse 12, have the gods of other nations rescued them? And then he begins to list them. Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, the people of Eden, the former kings of Assyria destroyed them all. What happened to the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? What happened to the kings of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? After Hezekiah received the letter and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Listen to me, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, just as the message says. And they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. 
Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the, King, the God of Israel says. I have heard your prayer about King Sennacherib of Assyria, and this is the message that the Lord has spoken against him. And then he begins to say how God is going to take out the, the king of Assyria and his soldiers. He says, in, uh, let's begin reading in verse 26. It's verse 25, rather. But have you not heard? It was I, the Lord, who decided long ago, long ago I planned what I am now causing to happen, that you should crush fortified cities into heaps of rubble. That's why their people have so little power and are such easy prey for you. They are as helpless as grass, as easily trampled as tender green shoots. They are like grass sprouting on a housetop, easily scorched by the sun. All these nations who were destroyed, God allowed them to be destroyed because their trust was not in God. Their trust was in their chariots. Their trust was in their horses. Their trust was in their military power, which all came to nothing. Why? Because they did not trust in the name of the Lord who is the only God. And God now is speaking to the Assyrians and says, but I know you well, your comings and goings and all that you do. I know the way you've raged against me and because of your arrogance against me, which I have heard for myself, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your mouth. I will make you return by the road on which you came. And so then God gives a sign. He says that this is going to be proof that the Lord will protect the city from Assyria's king. This year you'll eat only what grows up by itself. Next year you'll eat what springs up from that. But in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them and you will tend vineyards and eat their fruit. The end of verse 31 says, the passion of the Lord Almighty will make this happen. So God speak these, speaks these words against Assyria who had come against his people. And verse 35 says, that night the angel of the Lord shows up, goes out to the Assyrian camp and kills a few troops, 185,000 of them. And when the Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. And King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp, returned to his own land, just as God said. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. And one day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons killed him with their swords. What a wonderful victory that God gave to his people in a supernatural way. I mean, this was a massive army that had come against God's people. In the natural, there was no hope. But because God's word is true, God sent his angel to go take care of the army. There is no match for our God. Oftentimes, in the Old Testament, God is referred to as the Lord of heaven's armies. God is a warrior. 
and he will fight for us. He fights our battles. And I want you to know it doesn't matter what, you, what battle you're in. It doesn't matter how many enemies have, have placed themselves against you. If God is for you, then who can be against you? 185,000 Assyrians are no match for God because his power is awesome. And God wants us to hold on to that. No matter what you're facing, God is greater than your circumstance and he will walk you through it. What a great victory that Hezekiah saw as he woke up and all of a sudden the tables had completely turned. And so that's some of the background of what I want to talk to you about today, but what I wanted to speak to you in focus on this morning is about our influence on the Lord. Just after this amazing victory, we read in chapter 20, about that time Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah went to visit him. Isn't it great if you're deathly sick, whether it's in your home or a hospital, and you have someone who has a word from the Lord, someone who is able to hear from God come and minister to you. And what a blessing that is. So no doubt Hezekiah, as he's laying on his deathbed, and he hears, uh, Isaiah is coming to visit you. Uh, no doubt that Hezekiah probably was excited that Isaiah was coming to visit him because God had confirmed his word through Isaiah the prophet over and over and over again. Isaiah said, don't worry, God's got this whole thing under control. He's going to take out the armies. And lo and behold, what happens? Armies are all taken out. So the prophetic ministry of Isaiah had well been established. Isaiah was not this new guy on the scene where Hezekiah was thinking, you know, is this guy really speaking from God or not? That was already established. Like it was said of Samuel, his words did not fall to the ground. In other words, when he said that something was going to happen, he was sure that it was of the Lord and it indeed did happen. So Isaiah goes to visit Hezekiah and he says to him, uh, <clears throat> Hezekiah, it's good to see you today. I have a word for you from the Lord. Uh, and this is what the Lord says. Get your affairs in order because you're going to die. You will not recover from this illness. That's word for word right there. You're going to die and you will not recover from this illness. Can you imagine? Like, can you imagine you're sick in the hospital and I come to visit you? And like, uh, dear sister, dear brother, I just got a word for you from the Lord. I know you were hoping to leave the hospital. I know you were hoping to anoint you with oil and you would get healed. But I've got a word, not from me, but from the Lord. You're going to die. And just to, just to confirm that, you will not recover from this disease. This is a word from the Lord for you. Uh, hope you have a good day. Enjoy your last few meals. See you later.
sometimes the things God says to us don't always get us excited. But it's better to hear the truth than to just hear something that'll get you excited. Isn't it? Because, I'm going to repeat this, God is good all the time. So even when this word is coming forth from Isaiah, I just wanted to tell you a word from the Lord while you're there in your deathbed. Uh, you're going to die and you will not recover from this illness. God was good. See, because God always speaks the truth to us. And he speaks the truth, giving an opportunity for our response. And the determined on our response can determine how things go. When Hezekiah heard these words, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Isaiah had not even left the hospital yet. And Hezekiah turned his face to the Lord because he knew this was a word from God. And there's nowhere else to turn to deal with a word from God except the God who gave the word. And so he looks to God. He turns to the wall, turns away from all the other things that would distract his attention. So he looks at the wall and he begins to pray. He says, oh God, remember how I've been faithful to you. I have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. And then he broke down and he wept bitterly. His heart was soft before the Lord. And as he was crying, no doubt out of the depths of his heart, there were all kinds of things coming out from his heart in those tears. The scripture tells us that the Spirit of God communicates to our Heavenly Father through us, even through groanings that cannot be uttered. So that when you are in such a state of mind that you're overwhelmed and you don't know how to pray, and tears are flowing from your eyes, and you are sobbing before God. God knows what is on your heart, and he knows what is on your mind. Psalm 139 says that even before a word is on your tongue, God knows it. I'm so glad that when we fumble things up in our communication, God's not looking down going, now I just don't understand what you're saying. If I could just know what you're thinking, we could maybe communicate here. But I'm not sure you were just sobbing and I don't know what you mean. No, God looks down and he sees through the depths because he knows you. He is spirit. And so he can communicate to your spirit and vice versa. Hezekiah could have said, well, then it's a done deal. If God says I'm dying, and if he said this is going to take me out, then I guess my life is over. But that's not what he did. He began to cry out to God. I want to tell you, no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what situation that you're facing, and even if you get a word from the Lord, a direct divine message from a confirmed prophet of God that says this situation is going to go south for you. 
you can still come before the Lord. Say, God, I heard that word. We don't discard it. We acknowledge it. But we come before God and we say, God, would you consider changing your mind? Did you know you can do that? Did you know you can ask God to change his mind? Absolutely. You're in a covenant relationship. That's why Abraham talked to God when the angels were on their way to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He was talking to God. Don't ever forget the relationship that you're in with God. You get to influence him. That's amazing to me. That means that there are some things that you can affect by things that you can do that if you didn't do those things, the change would never happen. If Hezekiah had ended at that moment and given up hope, no doubt he would have died because that was God's word. But listen to what happened. He prayed, verse 4, and then before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. You talk about being on point and listening to the Lord. Isaiah is not in his prayer room with candles lit and light music playing. I'm all tuned in to the Lord. Lord, what are you saying to me today? He had just left Hezekiah's room and he's in the courtyard. He may be thinking about what he's going to go eat for lunch. But he had a discerning ear to the voice of God. While he's walking in the courtyard, he had already delivered God's message. He had finished his assignment. But while he was walking, God spoke to Hezekiah these words. And he said this. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you're going to get out of bed. You're going to go to the temple of the Lord. And I'm going to add 15 years to your life. I know I just told you you were going to die. But because you asked me, because you cried out to me, I've changed my mind. And while Isaiah was on the way out the door, God says, um, uh, Isaiah, hold on a second. New assignment. Go back. New message. New message from God. Hot off the press. And Isaiah walks back into the room. Um, Hezekiah, you know what I just told you? Uh, God just wanted me to let you know a little change of plans. Apparently, you've been crying out to him since I left the room. Apparently, he has heard your prayer and your tears. And for whatever reason, he just totally went back on everything he just told you. And now 
He wants you to know that in three days you're going to be completely well and you've got an extra 15 years of life. Because you sought him. Because you humbled yourself before him. And then he says, I will rescue you and this city from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, make an ointment with figs. So Hezekiah's servant spread the ointment over the boil and Hezekiah recovered. This is a perfect, this is a perfect marriage of God's divine spoken word and medicinal ointment used together. You see that? God's not opposed to medicine. He just wants you to trust him more. So go ahead and take your Tylenol. But don't put your trust in your Tylenol. Put your trust in the healer. Because he can do it without the Tylenol. But he can also use it. So this is the word from the Lord to Hezekiah. He says, go and, and get this stuff ready. Get the ointment from the figs. Spread it over the boil. Hezekiah then recovered. It goes on to say, Hezekiah said, what sign will the Lord give to me that will prove that he will heal me and that I will go back to the temple of the Lord three days from now? Isaiah said, this is the sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he promised. Uh, Hezekiah, would you like God to um, make the sun go forward 10 steps or, or would you prefer for it to go backwards? I love how God is. It's kind of cool. Like He just gave him a choice. Like I can just move the sun whoop, this way or this way, and it's totally up to you. What would you like? Hezekiah says, well, it, it always goes forward, so that wouldn't really be that cool. It'd be really cool if it went backwards. I've never seen the sun go backwards. So Isaiah the prophet asked the Lord, he says, Lord, uh, Hezekiah thinks it'd be really extra neat if it went backwards. And so God did exactly what Isaiah asked him to do. And the sun moved 10 steps backwards on the sundial. Just to prove that indeed he had another 15 years. Like, I got to get life insurance now. <laughs> you influence your heavenly father. And never allow the enemy to tell you otherwise. That doesn't mean you command or demand, but you request. And you request humbly. And you turn your face to God and you ask. Ask and you shall receive. That's what it says. I'm not sure all that each one of you are going through. But even if you're going through something that is a potential death sentence, or you have a family member going through a death sentence in their life, maybe it's not an immediate thing. Maybe it's a drawn out thing. Maybe it's a disease that the doctors have concluded you don't recover from these kinds of things. It's a death sentence. I want you to know that God will always have the last word, even if it means changing his mind. 
as I, as I read this, it gives me such joy. Because that means that even if I, even if at a particular point in time, God tells me something that is, that brings great sorrow to my heart, that that can be changed by me coming into his presence and saying, God, would you reconsider? I'm your son, and I'm asking, would you please reconsider? I have the privilege to affect God's decisions. Now, ultimately, he's the choice maker, but we're his children. And just like when you have your children come to you and they'll ask you, have you ever changed your mind? The attitude of the heart will affect whether God's willing to change his mind or not. God had already made that decision. The decision was made. If there was no crying out from Hezekiah, his life was done. There was no medicine that would help him. Nobody could help Hezekiah. His life was done, except for God. Now, if God's willing to change his mind on something that he said, how much more so don't you think that he will step in and help you when it's the enemy that's hot on your tail? He will help you. He says, I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. The reason that God sent that message by Isaiah to Hezekiah was to test his heart. What's he going to do? And because he responded the way that he did, he changed his mind. Another opportunity that God gave was when he sent Jonah to Nineveh. And he said, in 40 days, this place is going to be destroyed. Jonah went very, after he eventually got there, he gave the message loud and clear. The king, the animals, the children, everybody, they fasted, they prayed, they humbled themselves before God. And Jonah leaves the city, taking none of that into account. His heart was set on God fulfilling what he originally said. Sitting outside, it's day 39, all of a sudden, day 40. And he's ready for the fireworks to begin. And nothing happens. And he looks at God and he says these words. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, God? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Can you imagine talking to the Lord like that? You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord, because I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Interesting. So hung up 
on these people being destroyed. He could care less whether God changed his mind or not. But God did change his mind. And he changed it, why? Because the people's hearts changed. God's mind changes when hearts change. Maybe your life is heading in a certain direction. Yes, your life may be heading in that direction, but it's because oftentimes your heart is in a certain place. And when God sees a heart change, then his mind will change and circumstances will change. And that's why when we seek the Lord, it provides an opportunity for God to do amazing things in our lives. Jonah was upset. Jonah was not happy with God changing his mind. Jonah 3 verse 10 says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Jonah got all upset and God gave him a little lesson in life. He gave him a plant that grew up to provide him shade, and then he sent a little worm, and the worm ate the plant. The plant died, and Jonah was very angry about that, too. Jonah said, or God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there? It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God is a God, as was already mentioned this morning, of perfect judgment. When he judges, it's right on target. He never misses the mark. But I don't care what judgment he has pronounced. If we humble ourselves before him, he can change his mind. We have to remember that. Even if a prophet of the Lord, who is a confirmed prophet of the Lord, says this is going to happen and this is when it's going to happen. You don't have to end there. You can do what Hezekiah did. He said, God, I believe that word was from you. And it breaks my heart. But Lord, would you please, would you please consider how we humble our hearts before you, and would you change your mind? And when he does, we have to be rejoicing in our spirit when God withholds judgment. Instead of like Jonah to say, God, I wish you would have done something there. I wish you would have followed through. In fact, I predicted, my prediction was that you were going to destroy Nineveh in 40 days, and now it looks like I'm the laughing stock. Nothing happened. He was more concerned about his own name being on the line than about the people's lives being saved. 
God cares about you deeply. You may be heading in a certain direction, or maybe a family member is heading in a certain direction. And God says to you right now, according to the direction of your heart, this is exactly what's going to happen. But if your heart changes, I'm willing to change course of events for your life. Too often we've bought into the idea that whatever will be, will be, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. Things don't happen just because of fate. When we humble ourselves before God, it's amazing, but God allows us to affect the turning of the steering wheel in our lives. And that is why we gather together every Sunday night to humble ourselves before God and to say, God, whatever you had planned for the city of Springfield, whatever you had planned for Christian Life Center, whatever you had planned for people in this church body, if it was something that was going to cause destruction or devastation, maybe because of disobedience, maybe because of a disregard for a commandment of your word, or maybe there was just an, a, a, a neglect of something that you had asked us to do. Oh God, would you please have mercy upon your people? And would you please show us favor? And may instead of cursing, may we receive your blessing, oh God. And God listens up in heaven. And while he's listening, he can change his mind and the course of events for this city for this church for our community can be changed because we come before God and we seek him in prayer your time with God is never wasted you need to understand how much God has allowed you to influence him even though he is the king of all kings Whatever he says goes. He can overrule, override, veto, do whatever he wants to do. And yet he says, so what do you have to say about that? And he hears you. Oh God, have mercy. I don't have to, but I will. And I'll do it because you prayed. I'll do it because you prayed. It wasn't just Hezekiah that God was honoring. Listen to this verse, and I close with this. Second Kings chapter 20. He said, I, verse, verse 6, I will do this to defend my honor and for the sake of my servant David. Did you know that there are some things that you're asking God that you're just kind of adding the tip top? And God says, oh, your grandma was praying. Your grandpa was praying too. But because you added a bit more, I'm going to do it for you and for the sake of those who were interceding as well. Hezekiah's life was spared because David obeyed God. Did you know that you can affect the generations that come after you? That years down the road, God can be in the middle of a decision and think back to your prayers. 
oh, I remember, yeah, 15, 20 years ago, I remember that so-and-so prayed and asked me. And now because you've prayed, you've tipped the scale. So I'll change my mind. Don't give up. Keep seeking God. You may not have seen the answer yet. I know many of you have seen answers to your prayers. But for those of you who haven't, I want to encourage you. Do not give up. Don't walk by sight. Walk by faith. You'll see it come to pass in God's good time. Sometimes quicker than others. Isaiah hadn't even fully left yet and the word of God changed. So don't give up. Seek the Lord with all of your heart. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. Those are the words of God and every promise he makes he keeps. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Another point I want to make is there are always windows of opportunity. And those windows are not forever. There are time periods when you either seek the Lord during that time period and humble yourself before him and see a change in his plans. Or once that time period passes, then it's over. Whatever he said is going to come to pass. If the people in Nineveh had waited till after the 40 days, they'd have been done for. If Hezekiah had picked up a magazine to read after he had read the new or heard the news from Isaiah, he'd have been done for. But his immediate response was, oh, God, have mercy. And I want to encourage you, your response to whatever situation you're in will determine the level of God's response. All throughout, when Jesus went to heal people, he responded to them seeking him. He responded to them seeking him. And for those who weren't seeking him or could care less, he couldn't even minister in those towns because they didn't have faith. So let's, as a church body, understand how much we can affect our Heavenly Father in a good way, because he's a good, good father. Some of you have had maybe challenging relationships with your dad, and maybe this is hard for you to relate to. But when you have a good father, your father is going to listen to you. And there's going to be some back and forth in that conversation. It's not a totalitarian ruler dictatorship. But there's this, Dad, what about this? And would you please do this? And okay, son, since you asked nicely. There's this relationship. It's the same with our Heavenly Father. If we could all close ourselves in with God for a moment, I want to ask every single person in this room. First of all, I want to say, I'm so glad that you're here today because I believe that God wanted you to hear his word for you today. But now there is a window of opportunity. If you're in this place this morning, and you have not surrendered your heart to God, there is a window of an opportunity for you, and your life can be totally transformed. The Word of God says that today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to me as the pastor or any one of you in this room. That's why we must live 
ready to meet God. If you're in this room today, maybe you think, well, I'm generally a good person. My friend, I want to tell you, if goodness could get you to heaven, Jesus did not need to come and die. But because goodness cannot get you to heaven, Jesus had to die, and you desperately need him, no matter how good you think you are. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, including me. If you're here today, the Spirit of God says to you, I offer you a free gift. My son paid for it on the cross. Jesus died so that you could live. He paid for all your sins. And he wants you to experience freedom from guilt, from shame, and a brand new life. If you're in this room today and you'd say, Pastor Joseph, I want the Spirit of God to change my heart. I want my name written in the book of life. I want to be ready to meet Jesus. And I want to make that decision today. If that's you, right where you are, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you today. If that's you, I want to pray with you. God sees your hand, my brother. Is there anyone else here this morning that wants to make that decision? This is the biggest decision of your life. It's more important than your career, more important than who you marry. It'll affect your eternal destiny. One last opportunity. Is there anyone else this morning? I never rush past this point because this is what it's all about. Jesus came to save us. Now I'm going to ask if we could all join in this prayer. And you who raised your hand as you pray this prayer, just open your heart to the Spirit of God. And the Bible tells us that with our mouth we confess and with our heart we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that's how it all happens, by faith. We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And church family, I just ask you to join together as we pray this prayer. And the Spirit of God is going to be doing a supernatural work while we pray. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge today that I need your forgiveness. Would you please wash my heart clean and make me a brand new person? Thank you for paying the price for all of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart Clean it up and make me new. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. I choose from this day forward to live my life in obedience to your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give God thanks.